Hey everyone, welcome to the Shimoda Split Screen. This is the show where we talk with other photographers about news and info related to their lives. Today we're talking with newly arrived British Columbia-based photographer Matthias Fredrickson. Uh, before we start, Matthias, can you tell people where to find you on the internet, like social media and these types of places? Yeah, it's funny you ask because I'm actually sitting here picking out shots for the new website that is completely completely done. The agency have done a great job. Now I just need to fill it with images. I haven't had a functional website for some time. It's almost embarrassing to say that it's a year and a half. <laughs> it's more like the, the Instagram is kind of like, it's, it's a bit of my excuse to be there a little bit more because it's actually my only platform that I use actively. Yeah, so it's just Matthias Fregson Photography. Uh, so that's kind of where I am uh, online and and uh, yeah and your, new, your new website MatthiasFredericksen.com yeah that's the website so hopefully that's up and running here pretty soon cool well I'll put that info in the uh, below the video because I always spell your name wrong so I think uh, yeah. everyone else will spell it wrong too yeah right it's very difficult many many words or many uh, Characters. Is that, is that a common um, issue with magazines and credits? Misspelled. Yeah, name? it happens, but not not too not too bad. Shouldn't claim too much about that. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, Mateus is a veteran action sport photographer. Your primary sports are biking and skiing. Fair to say. Yeah, primarily those, like all kinds of. Um, cycling really and and skiing as well uh, more more uphill these days as well like lots of ski touring related pieces and you know I love to do stories about ski makers and interesting characters so I mean with that like a lot of people have this idea of oh ski photography it's like the bluebird day and the perfect snow skiing to the camera and like filling out the frame in my world, like that's the typical ski photo, right? Like a lot of people think like that, like, but with those activities or sports or whatever you call them lifestyle, there is so much more to it. So I really like to go into the, the people behind and, you know, the people that makes the, these cultures interesting. So that's, uh, but I also shoot, um, you know, other outdoor sports and mountaineering, climbing and uh, trail running, hiking, stuff like that. So, yeah. So when you, um, you were just talking about doing a project with Greg Hill, um, is that, do you think that's the natural evolution of the sport or is that the natural evolution of, of your own photography, just getting more into that touring side rather than capturing the stock cover shot type images? Yeah, well, I've actually been shooting ski touring for many, many years. It's more like now maybe I, I do I do that a lot more. And the type of people you meet in in those circles are really interesting. And Greg, for example, that I plan a project with now, is is really leading the church in 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 like more sustainable adventures in the mountains. So so he naturally becomes a interesting person to to do things with because there is great stories to tell right what do you mean by sustainable adventures oh he, he's totally switched so he he sold his uh and normal truck got an electric car he's getting to the mountains with um different ways also using e-bikes and like really down like try to 
take down his carbon footprint as much as possible, basically during a lot of his adventures near home, close to home and like not flying much and stuff like this. So, and he has really interesting ideas around this. So I really want to try and tell his story and tell other people about this because he's doing a really great thing. So if I don't want to keep dwelling on Greg here, but what's he, he lives in Revelstoke still. Is that where he's based? Yeah. Yeah. So he has a all wheel drive electric car. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Which car he has, but, um, it's definitely working out well for him there. And he's been going on pretty big trips with that car. Um, so, so he proves he proves that it works to live in a mountain town like Revelstoke. Because uh, now I live in northern BC, and when I talk to some some of my friends up here, like people are like, "Oh yeah, you can't have an electric car here," and maybe you can't right now. But I think it's the attitude that we all need to kind of change the attitude about this. Um, so, did you just say you live in northern BC? Yeah, central northern BC. Referring to where? Uh, terrace. What? You don't live in Squamish anymore? No, we moved to Terrace this summer. Oh, really? Wow. What brought that on? Um, we we kind of knew that Squamish was a uh, a little bit of um. We moved from Sweden to Canada, so Squamish was a great place to come to first, and um and and um then we kind of realized that we need to live in a little smaller place maybe or not so busy place. It was the lower mainline BC is really busy these days. And um, we, we moved from a really small mountain town in Sweden. Um, so uh, we used to having less people around us. <laughs> and then my girlfriend got a really good job up here. She, she's a lawyer and she works for a local firm up here. So she's sorry. Can you say that again? She's a, she's a lawyer. A lawyer. So okay. she, yeah, so she got a, a good job here. She did her articling in um, in Squamish, and then uh, we 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 were looking into different mountain towns and and figured like, yeah, northern BC is cool. So so yeah. for for anyone who doesn't know, what's the population of Terrace? Oh, it's actually pretty similar to Squamish. It's about fifteen thousand people. Fifteen thousand. Okay, so still still pretty small. Yeah, the the big difference is that you don't have Vancouver um an hour away so right. this is like the the bigger place up here but there is a lot of little cool mountain towns up here smithers is two hours away and big mountains and lots of rivers and great mountain bike trails right i was just gonna say the mountains there um they're obviously big but is, is it different than the coast uh like Squamish, oh, it's still, it's still a coastal range, sort of right. like it's. Uh, it, we're an hour from the ocean here, and um, and I mean these mountains are, I would say, very similar to the the mountains around Whistler and Squamish, um, and 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 uh, it's a seventeen hour drive, but it's just a bit more than an hour to fly, so it's whole way <laughs> so as someone who travels a lot how many trips do you think you do a year oh nowadays i travel a lot less like last year i did and last winter i did all my projects in bc and uh, besides one one trip to um 
to the Alps. Um, and then I went on a ski vacation to Japan with Al. That was awesome. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But um, yeah, so I actually travel a lot less than I used to do. Like I, I for 20 years, I probably had between 150 and 180 travel days uh, or away from home every year. Uh, so I definitely travel a lot more. Um, so I try to do more things uh, where I live or near, near where I live. Being based in Terrace, what's the route to get out of the country? How do you, you have to fly into Vancouver and then? Yeah, Vancouver and then away. Yeah. So it's it's no big difference than when I lived in Sweden because uh, I lived in a little mountain town there too. So I'm actually just 10, 15 minutes from the airport here right now. It's a great airport. So yeah, I've got five. Well, as you know, I've got five hours to get to the airport. Yeah, which is really annoying. But uh, so you have to travel a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, not not. Unfortunately, I do like the travel I do, but it's not, you know, it's not the glorious, glamorous travel. It's to factories yeah. and uh, New York State, so mostly, yeah. mostly. But uh, how often do you need to go? Uh, factories probably, probably about four times a year, and then New York is probably at least twice, three times, maybe. Yeah, and then I mean I go to BC and Toronto for just to visit friends and and visit my family. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll go play when I'm there, of course, you know, especially in BC, trying to mix work with with family trips, kind of thing, which which works out really nice. I've started yeah. to change a bit with my travels. I I do when I do my bigger trips. This summer I did two trips to Europe, and I tried to to jam in quite a lot of different things in the same trip. So like there's less, less time flying back and forth to places. So like it has worked out pretty well and then try and combine some trips with, you know, some personal time as well. So when we live a little bit more remotely out here now, it's, it's nice to, when you go, you might as well spend a few more days away and, and kind of, you know, make the most of it. Well, I think probably in Sweden, from at least the images I've seen, you lived in a spectacular part of the world. Now you live in a spectacular part of the world. It's like being home is, uh, it's always just as good as being away kind of thing. When people ask me, like, you know, where, where do you want to go to? I'm just like, I just want to spend more time at home. Yeah, totally. Same here. Okay. Now when I'm in this stage of, it's always around this time when you start to kind of put the winter puzzle out and like try to fit everything you want to do and like the different projects. And then you realize like, oh, so few days where you just have nothing going on and you just like take advantage of the, the opportunities you have at home. But at the same time, you gotta you got to start somewhere. This year, I'm actually trying to do several projects here um, close to home, like in, in these mountains, my new home mountains. Um, so I've convinced a couple of clients to, to do products here, which is great. So that's going to be awesome because it's going to be also a way for me to explore these mountains, but also welcome some of my friends here. So when you, when you prepare for, for the winter season, which you're, it sounds like you're doing now, 
what what kind of steps do you have to take to you know to to sort your winter out yeah basically i mean one one thing is to to train a lot <laughs> like i try to train regularly year round but the fall is definitely one of those times when i maybe start to be a little bit more aware of like the core training and like really make sure cuz during the winter time, like when I use my um, camera bag all the time and like travel and you drag your bags everywhere in airports and like, you know, like that whole thing, then you have also, unfortunately, a little bit less time in the mornings to to your, do your stretching or yoga or whatever. So it's really important to be like feeling good coming into the season and feeling strong. So I've been, been doing quite a lot of core training and yoga and, and stretching and stuff like this for for the last few months and like been biking a bunch and yeah this season i i think i've never been on the bike as much uh i've been a uh, biking about 130 days or something like that um i'm still riding actually because we don't have any snow on the ground yet so so i feel strong and and and, and i also prepare all my my uh, equipment. So I actually send uh, one of my cameras uh, to, to Nikon for service the other day, and I'm gonna send that one as well. Make sure everything is in good shape, and you know, looking look over all the equipment and stuff like this. And then obviously the, the business side of things, like I'm communicating a lot with my clients and and the magazines and the companies I work with, and as well as all the athletes that uh, I have plans with, and and exploring opportunities with different um locations and and so on so it's it's a it's that puzzle that is always tricky to hit, but it's uh you got to start somewhere right so like it's definitely like a normal puzzle you have all these pieces laying around and somehow you you make it work every year it kind of works out somehow and it, it always changes in 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 the middle of the winter something just like it doesn't snow somewhere or one client decide about something else or whatever, like someone get hurt that you had made plans with or so on, but you, you got to do that process. So it's, it's really interesting and it kind of ma makes it much clearer as you go. So it's, um, it's, it's a nice process. So, so to clarify for people, like when you say the word client, are you referring to uh, contract work for brands? Are you referring to articles? Um, both i'm guessing yeah both like i i'm i've been doing this for about 25 years and and um as much as it's awesome to have the well-paying commercial work mm. um i think that i probably have as much income coming from editorial work and really? i I do a lot of reportage. Like I, I write quite a lot myself as well, and I work with other journalists for certain projects, and and I I produce a lot of stories. Um, so, and then I sell random photos here and there, but but I also work with a ton of magazines all over the world. So I guess it it adds up, you know. But um, obviously the the commercial work is. It's great, and sometimes you you're lucky, or you have great clients that pay well for like good day rate jobs, yeah. you know. So, but at the same time, like I, I really enjoy the 
the editorial work. I came I came from that side of things, and I always worked at magazines as an editor and photo editor. So I, I guess I have like I started like that. Like I I, I was a writing journalist, and I I was going to school for that and so on. Okay. And then, yeah, so I that's that's my background. So I think I always have that strive of like telling stories and. And I mean, some of the brands I work with, I mean, that's what a lot of brands really want to do these days. So it, it sometimes it comes in really handy because you, you kind of sit with that knowledge, how to tell stories. And like, sometimes it could be a really great match with doing some editorial work on a trip that's actually a trip for a brand, but maybe there is even like a corporation between, because it's, it's like that fine line these days is like very fussy between what what is where the the rules are for like mixing this like i mean we all have to kind of scramble to get by with this and 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 honestly like you can't be too um picky with this uh nobody right. can really these days because nobody have the budgets to like very few magazines can 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 pay for all the expenses and the trips and so on so you, you just got to make sure that um, you you kind of separate what what is a real store sure. and what is something you do for for a brand, right? I'm just gonna cut you off for a second because the sound got really bad there. Um, can you say something? Am I echoing over there? Uh, not much. That's no. weird. Now it's now it's totally normal. Okay. When you're talking about the uh, working in editorial, I think like a lot of uh, action sports photographers especially start in that editorial, uh, just at the basics of submitting to magazines, shooting kind of on spec and just hoping to get pictures published. But do you think, are, is that still a big part of uh, like ski photography, snowboard photography? Uh, yeah, well, what I'm talking about is all, like I... I send just random shots to magazines too, but most of the magazines I work with, I I do signed work for them. So no, no, I, I understand. But I mean, do you do you think that's a, still a starting point for a lot of people uh, getting into it? Oh, yeah, I, I I assume it is. But what the reason why I said that is that I, for me, like it works out well because I do the mix of this, but it's very few times I just send photos. There is a couple of magazines that I only send the shots for and don't really have much of a relationship otherwise. But I think that it would be really hard to, to make some sort of living just doing that. Cause, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, and it has definitely changed and I can see quite a few people that used to do this before that seems to have totally let go of like the, ski snowboard scene because that was what they did and they maybe didn't do the the stories or like had much else going on but back in the day like you could probably do only that and and make it okay living and i mean i know there was quite a few people that was senior photographers for some of the snowboard magazines and they were contracted and they were paid pretty good money and some of them is not even shooting any snowboarding anymore for example like i think that industry has hurt more than the ski side of things maybe i don't know but it it, it looks like that when i see like all the like i used to read all the snowboard magazines i picked up 
a bunch of them and like i don't know how many of those that are even existing yeah. anymore <laughs> yeah there's yeah. definitely fewer and fewer yeah and with skiing like being an older sport like i mean i i work with some business magazines that want ski content or uh, travel magazines like it's like the type of stories that i've been working on for many years like they work maybe in a little bit broader um for a broader audience in some cases and you're gonna kind of adopt your material a little bit but um um yeah but i, I still think that the platform for if you want to get into this that is probably still like getting published a little bit randomly in some ski mags and and but honestly, like if someone would ask me today, like, oh, how should I do to make it in this industry? Like, I would probably advise them to do something else because, I mean, it must be so difficult to, to get it. Because, you know, like it's one thing like for veterans like myself and some of my friends that have been doing this for a long time. Because, I mean, we we also sit on an archive. Like, I mean, I sell prints and I sometimes there is companies that, come and want to buy photos for like you know when you have sort of a, a reputation and like people find you sort of and and i mean without that and like some of this other stuff like it would be really hard to, to make a living um um so so like just starting from scratch in 2018 and you want to make it as a ski photographer you got to be extremely talented or have have a really um great uh trust fund uh sitting there <laughs> yeah I, I think you really have to want it that's that's for sure but you know i have a bit of a different perspective because uh just dealing with with action sports photographers over the last 10 years through through the camera bags i see yeah. so many people who come and go but i also see people who i've watched like who who've just grown and grown and grown to the point where i'm just like wow that guy's full-on established professional at least it looks like that he's working with big clients or you know he's on big film projects etc like so i definitely see a lot of people pulling it off and making it work which is which is good and i mean it there is still great opportunities I, I think that you maybe just have to be a little bit more creative and maybe a little bit more diverse these days so like as far as like being focused on shooting skiing or snowboarding or whatever it might be i think the ones that really makes it these days are the ones that could adopt and do a lot of different things so like it's it's been cool to see some i, I follow some of the younger swedish photographers and there is some of them that is, is doing really well because they also shoot totally other stuff like you know more either it's industrial stuff or lifestyle or like fashion even like combine that with some of their passions in action sports and there is there is quite a few examples of this uh, also in north america and, and i mean then you have the whole instagram photography thing there that where maybe we shouldn't even go towards that but some people just make it make a living in, in that scene too which which is incredible um but um th there there is definitely like a a lot of different routes you could take but i think the key thing right now is probably to be a really diverse uh, like broad in your your portfolio and like really your knowledge and be be open to shoot a lot of other things like i in my perspective like in my um for, for me things 
changed a little bit. Maybe it's now seven, eight years ago. I started to, from shooting skiing and biking almost like year round, especially shooting a lot more skiing and like don't even, I wasn't even interested in taking assignments for other type of activities like hiking, trail running, other stuff. Like I, I was so like, I booked myself and for ski stuff, like, like almost every month of the year. And then I shot a bit of ski and like biking in the summer times. But I realized when I kind of freed up some time, cause I shot way too much steam. I, I, I couldn't, couldn't let these um, projects uh, spin enough and, and, and make them work. Like these days I, I shoot skiing shorter time of the year, like fewer months, fewer projects with ski stuff. But when I do it, I really go full on and like, make it count you know and like really maybe it comes with experience like you do you do it more like more uh, bigger projects or just put a little bit more energy into it and plan it well and really go for it and then also have breaks when i don't shoot at all but then maybe more focused on like bike stuff for some months and, and then change up with hiking and trail running and really make sure i I diversify myself and that way I'm more hungry shooting, skiing in the winter and the bike stuff in the summer. And I, I don't know, for me, this have changed things too. Cause I, all of a sudden I have more legs to stand on. And so I, I work with outdoor industry a bit more and there is quite a few magazine magazines there. And also, you know, destination companies I shoot for or brands and like, it's not like everything is not in, in one basket, you know? Yeah, I think you're doubling your, like if you just add a new sport in, you're just doubling your your exposure, your worth, your value. So, you know, you're not just playing with one industry, yeah. which yeah. is in the long term, it's, it's got to help. Yeah, and I, I feel since I've diversified myself and like took on a lot more different assignments, I feel like I've, I have definitely challenged myself more and I've become a better photographer and a better storyteller this way. And, and it's been really interesting because some of these projects have taken me in, in, in fields where maybe I was a little bit like, whoa, this is not really what I know um, 100%, but I learned so much from these projects and, and I felt like I overcame um, kind of like a, a bit of a... Um, uh, where I was a bit unsure if I could even do that type of shoots before. So like grow as a person and as a photographer, uh, that, and you learn um, a lot of, uh, learn a lot of things along the way. And like you meet other people and like collaborations that maybe wouldn't have come in your way. So it's really important to, 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 to have more on your agenda sort of it's just so nice to change your perspective on things too because I think a lot of times like um, uh, you know coming from snowboarding I had definitely had a very set perspective especially in Whistler you know everything's very uh, if you're in the snowboard world there it's very one direction I mean things have changed now that backcountry is more something to do but it was very one direction before and uh for me to just be into trail running, like if I was snowboarding in Worcester, I just probably would have never even gotten into trail running then, you know, but now it's like my mind is just so much more open from doing so many different things, shooting different subjects. Like 
you know, back in the day, I wouldn't take a photo of a powder turn because they were just too choreographed, too set up. But now I live in Hackabottom and I'm just like, you have you, you have, have, to, you have to take pictures of powder turns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're just different. It's just a different thing, and uh, yeah. and and it's really, I think it's really important to change your environment. Like you, you've changed from BC to Japan. Like for me, uh, from coming coming from Sweden to BC, all of a sudden, like okay, so I can't get up in the Alpine in ten minutes here. Uh, oh, and it's twelve meters of snow every year. Obviously, you, you gotta adopt to these different situations, and then and then you kind of you, you challenge yourself because you you find you find you find the beauty in other things than you like is your go-to like the quickest decision. You kind of here I, I gotta be way better shooting low light, for example, because a lot of the biking is happening in thick trees, and you all of a sudden you start to find other things and maybe you shoot more detail work or like foreground stuff or whatever. Like it's just a lot of different colors and, and textures and, and light situations. And when you're like an old dog like me and like been doing this for a long time and you get, you get comfortable with certain situations and it's so easy. Like you, someone can wake me up and I can shoot a powder turn five minutes after, even if I'm super tired three in the morning, that would be easy. And like, it doesn't challenge me, but if I come, put me in some new perspective all of a sudden I get more interested because I, I have to like kind of, how do I figure this out? And then, so I think it's good for me. It's been like moving country moving scene and like also moving between different sports and stuff has created this uh, curiosity about like, how can I challenge myself and, and, and how can I adopt this situation? So it's, uh, it keeps it running a little bit longer because otherwise I would be bored if I would just shoot skiing all the time or biking all the time or just being in the same spot all the time. I would I would probably be like, eh. That's another cool thing with, like here where we live now, I went here in 2011 and then I've been on the other side of the range in Smithers a, a few times. Uh, but this is new ground for me up here, basically, and and uh, it's going to be really cool to explore these mountains a bit more. And 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 um, yeah, you know, like it's it's all like the location come into play, right? Because you you have your stores, you have the people, but I mean, obviously, like the the surroundings many times makes the shot. But it's um, yeah. So back to like the preparations of the season. I mean, basically, it's a mix of like getting you yourself in shape um the gear ready all kinds of gear like uh, mounting skis and like prepping all that stuff and making sure you're dialed and like soon the first couple of ski tourists will be kind of prepping everything like oh there there is the the little the other gear you need and like you just make sure you get used to the whole thing and like just being out there and like you know it's 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 so different. Like in the beginning, you feel like a beginner. I think we all are the same every year. Uh, and then, and then just, you know, starting getting back into it. And then it comes a time when you're like in the mountains every day and like, you know, where every little thing is in your, in your bag and, and like all the little things you pack. And like, I usually keep like a certain amount of things in the bag that's always lived there. But now I've been using them. Uh, the explore 40 i guess in the summer for the most time and then in the winter i switched to explore 60 so i'm gonna do that transition soon 
because because you know yes you know where you have all your stuff and like you know <laughs> yeah absolutely that's it i anytime i have like a a, a break in shooting especially because i end up shooting so much different stuff with work that um every time i have to like repack my bag i always need that one test run uh yeah. to make sure when it's important that i'm not forgetting something oh yeah totally and, and when you say that like another thing is to kind of brush off the like safety thoughts and and so on i uh now we we did our ac2 course last year um avalanche safety course uh, and um and then I actually just took a wilderness first aid course. So I tried to educate myself to, to be able to be more safe in the mountains. And then I have the luxury of being out there with great people. Like we spoke about Greg Hill, he's a ski guy, and a lot of other friends that are really accomplished mountain people. And I pick up a lot of knowledge from them, but it's really important to to make sure you're, you're, you know what to, to do when things go south and the more time you spend in the mountains obviously like you expose yourself for for dangers it's really important to 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 i mean one thing to to know about these things but also practice and like make sure that you have fresh batteries in your transceiver and like that your gear like you have always there so you can't talk too much about that like it's it's so so important to like do some practice with your friends before the season starts and and make sure you're on top of things just to add to that is that um like avalanche season or or just getting hurt that season starts like right away you know just because it's early season doesn't mean uh the snow is not going to slide on you oh and um, maybe it's even more danger like depending on where you live in the world right but i mean you know, we we live in places where when it does start snowing it snows a lot so like could go from like being 100 percent sure no problem at all when it's no snow <laughs> or very little snow, old snow to, to getting really dangerous quickly. So it's important to always think about those things. So, so yeah, I was actually really glad to hear, I got a, uh, a message from a friend in Whistler, another photographer who was asking me about uh, shovels this morning and uh, how they fit in, in the Shimoda bags and, and, and it got, got me thinking about the, the safety gear because we, now we live in a place where, where cell service is like 10 minutes out of town, like there's barely any cell service. And at our local ski area, Shames Mountain, there is no cell service. So we actually investing in uh, inReach um, so we could, we could communicate through that system. What's, what's that, inReach? Yeah, if you know the spot that's been around a bit, like uh, an inReach is kind of similar device. You could you could you could um, send messages. It's it goes on a different system. I am not sure if I can explain perfect, but an inReach is a really good tool when you're in the backcountry. It's no cell service, so we used it last year. We did a winter camping trip with Solomon and way out there, and and then. Um, Rubens, um, Chris Rubens had one of those, and 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 I I know like Greg and a lot of my friends in Revelstoke, they all use these devices, and and you can link it to your phone, so you can use the phones and or like the maps in the phone on the screen, and then and then you could text from your actual phone through this thing, so it's almost like your router or a, like a, some sort of machine that you could use, so you could communicate with people if things goes sideways you could call basically message for help 
and you you can make sure people at home knows that yeah we just held up in traffic on the way back from the ski hill coming home in as soon as possible but yeah so people don't get worried if you can't call them so yeah. so yeah. one thing just before uh we, we move on here is uh you mentioned the shovel fits and the between the 40 and 60 and i don't want to turn this into a shimoda product blog but the difference for anybody that, that's watching this is as Mateus uses, as myself uses, if you're doing backcountry ski, you definitely want the Explore 60. It's got a bigger shovel pocket. It just fits a lot more gear that you need for that. Whereas if you get the 40, depending how much camera gear you have, it's going to be a lot tighter, tighter kind of fit. And one other tip, I don't know if you do it or not, but if when you put your shovel in, put the blade upside down, it'll give... Uh, it's just a more natural fit inside the bag, so that I, I don't know if I do that. I will. I will try that. But yeah, try I, that out. I told my friend who reached out today to definitely you got to take the the shovel apart completely. But it does in the sixty. I have the Black Diamond Evac shovel, which is an amazing shovel, uh, and that one fits, for example. And it's a pretty big shovel. It's a really good shovel that. When, when you need to move a lot of snow, you need a big shovel, So, but it still fits. So, so the, the other thing with that is um, I make the bags so they will fit a, like at least a medium-sized shovel. I mean, I realize guys generally use a lot, even bigger shovels, but um, when, the, when it comes down to it and snow is compact from a slide, the little shovel, just it, it's basically useless. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're buying your girlfriend a shovel for Christmas, buy her a big shovel because she's gonna yeah, she's gotta exactly. dig you out. <laughs> My friend uh, Andrew wrote this morning, like, I mean, you you want to make sure all your friends and yourself included had like the good shovels and the good gear in general. But um, yeah, and then, and I I I realized that the the forty, even if maybe I wouldn't fit the big shovel, like it fits a lot of things. I I think I definitely will use it a bit more for my winter adventures as well but you you might need a different system for for your for your shovel but it it fits so much on those side pockets which was really interesting uh to me in the summer when i was in the mountains like i i, I carried quite a lot of water then that was in 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 italy in the mont blanc Massif. so we we were hiking and and uh, climbing and stuff there but uh First, I felt like, oh, it's we're gonna go to this hut and spend two days in the mountains, and I need quite a lot of water and and stuff. But I I start to use those side pockets that I honestly haven't used much on any of the bags before. But I realized that they they were so handy. That was which, really, which side pocket do you mean? The side pocket on the uh, the ones that sits on the outside, sort of that like you can pouch. take out. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Th those were amazing. So that, that was one thing that I started to use a lot more. So one, one thing I should clarify with the, uh, using the 60 for backcountry is I, I always describe to people who are into backcountry is that the 40 is a great side country bag if you're kind of like dipping off the resort and you don't have to bring your skins kind of thing. And then the 60, if you have to pack your skins, um, you, you definitely – you're probably going to be in places where you need a little more in your bag that day anyways like food. if you go on a little bit bigger trip definitely but, but the ford is really good. i mainly used it for like you know summer stuff like mountain biking because it's, it's smaller too so it doesn't it doesn't interfere at all like up up around your helmet and you also yeah. don't need 
any like you usually typically you don't need as much gear when you go on the mountain biking trips um and and i used that one even on hot trips this summer because i had really awesome friends on this trip and they were carrying the extra food and and the wine we brought wine up to 2,800 meters yeah. in, in Italy. <laughs> where where was that? Uh, in the Osta Valley. Uh, we did. Um, I have a friend who runs a mountain biking uh, guide company um, out of Aosta. The where, town of Aosta. Where, where, where's what country is that? Aosta, Italy, in uh, north. Oh, in Italy. Italy. Okay. Yeah. So um, so Massimo runs Aosta Valley Freeride. It's a really awesome. Uh, mountain bike um, guide company and I've been coming visit him for four or five years and now this year I I didn't want to know where we we're going I was telling him like take me on on a rad adventure and and he could pick and choose uh, so he took me and uh, my friend Holger uh, on the wildest ride in Austria so we stayed in this um, little um, 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 not refugio when when it's like even smaller, like basically just a, a shelter. Like an emergency, uh, emergency kind of hut. Yeah, it's still open for public, so, and and it has um, six uh, sleep six people. Um, but it was on almost two thousand eight hundred meters, and then and it was took some time to get up there. Like you ride for hours, and then you hike a bike, and and but it was incredible. And and then we descend down on the other side of the pass, and you had like an amazing view of Mont Blanc and Grand Charas, the whole Mont Blanc massif, and and then ride down to Osta, and then we got picked up. Uh, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, that was my last adventure in Europe before I came back to BC, and then I've been home since then. So it's almost two months at home now. Nice. Uh, just one last thing uh, before we wrap this up that I wanted to get into because you always uh, seems like every other week you're posting your latest cover shot. Um, <laughs> how many? Uh, how many do you have in the bag? You think? Do you know? Oh, in total, this year has been incredible for covers. I'm. I feel like I'm not the cover photographer anymore. But this year I have almost twenty. I think. But this uh, year total, alone, you have twenty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But in in, in in overall, my whole career, it's starting to get up towards 500, actually. Wow. So uh, <laughs> between all these different sports, yeah. it hasn't years of shooting. But yeah, it's, it's always fun with the covers because, I mean, as a, as a former editor myself and always been really involved with magazine productions and, like, I know a lot of editors and, and like, I, I really – love magazines in general i i know that i mean that's the most important thing on every issue of all these different magazines right like the cover that's what's gonna sell the magazine either off the newsstands or like you know that's what makes people pick that magazine up even if it's laying there at the office, dental office or anywhere right so like the cover is the most important photo and and it's obviously like awesome to to have that recognition for your photo and like it's always stoked the athletes out right and everybody involved so i don't know if you know i used to be the editor of a mountain bike magazine too so i had to like basically sculpt the issue around uh and it always led with the cover and unfortunately the magazine i worked for i i didn't really like what this magazine's focus was it was more mainstream mountain biking and uh it was, 
I had to change my style from running an independent mountain bike magazine, self-publishing to this like a hundred thousand, uh, 12 issues a year kind of style magazine. And yeah. it changed my whole style of photography, um, to where I was always trying to shoot cover basically in my, like that just changed the style. And, um, do you think, or has your, like when people, when they pick your, your photo for the cover, are these, is some of it like uh, prearranged or is this just luck of the draw? They just have your photos and we're like, that's the shot. I mean, it's, it's very seldom that I actually get an assignment like, oh, shoot a photo like this for a cover. I mean, some certain magazines do that still. Like, you know, the the lifestyle, the big lifestyle magazine, Vanity Fair and those. I mean, they assign someone to shoot it the way they want it, right? But that's like a different thing. I think within those sports we, we we work with here like it's more like they they pick amongst pre like already produced photos uh but one thing that i've noticed now over the years um and this year in particular like if i would line all the different covers up here for all the magazines i that i've been lucky enough to have these covers it it ranges from like that super tight classic ski shot or bike or whatever to like my latest cover is actually of a japanese magazine uh fall line uh, beautiful magazine and i don't think that issue is out yet but it's um the, the skier is tiny and he skis between two big glaciers and it's like big mountains like it would i would never think that it would be picked for a cover it's not like one single headline on that it's just like the photo and then like the the, the fall line logo that's it so like i think a lot of like what happened? Um, what have happened over the couple of years, uh, the last few years, is that people maybe don't care so much about like the headlines on the magazine, and they sell more like on oh that's that my favorite magazine I pick it up. It's more about having a cool photo, and they they recognize the logo of the mag. I think it's have changed a little bit. So the magazines seem to 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 take a little bit more chances and like use different style of photos on the covers and stuff if you look at powder magazine same thing there like they they have done really cool uh cover layouts lately and like let the photos breathe and like the the, the choices of photos are very um not very traditional like very progressive um covers i would say and 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 i see this on quite a few magazines it's a really nice trend I think um, as the sports become more lifestyle too, that the magazines also reflect that and, and kind of portray that image, especially in Japan. So Japan specifically, there's so many more lifestyle magazines versus, well, that's just not entirely true, but there's a lot more artistic uh, effort put into magazine production in Japan. Like print is very, very alive still in Japan because the government, I don't know if they still do, but as as recently as I can recall, they the government puts a lot of uh, money into the print industry to keep it going. So if you go to a bookstore, you'll see like a ridiculous amount. When I'm in Japan, I always go to the to the bookstores and the magazine stores, and it's like I love it. Even if I can't, I I don't know, uh, I can't speak fluent Japanese, and I I can't really speak Japanese at all. But I know a couple of words. Uh, but anyway, like I, I love to go to the bookstores and, and like just I love magazines and like some of them are also published in English, I guess, or parts of them. And 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 it's just I love magazine stores and bookstores. And in Japan, it's like 
it's how it should be. And it's, Scandinavia is pretty strong on the magazine scene as well. And, and like here in Terrace, I'm lucky I went to the bookstore here. We have a really good bookstore and they have an, an amazing collection in magazines. So it, it's nice. Like I just love to come in there and, and, and stand there and look at mags and, and I, I buy them yeah. sometimes. <laughs> People should read more and listen to more uh, podcasts. And yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, though, there's a, there's a, the qual. I don't know if the quality of the craftsmanship and writing, sometimes I feel like it's just not uh, as good as it could be. I wish it was better sometimes. In, in uh, which magazine? Uh, I'm not naming magazines specifically, but just articles in general, I feel, aren't the same as they used to be. They're uh, a little too quick, a little too not. Like before, I feel like my articles had substance. They, people actually researched things. You know, there was information to take from it rather than uh, just kind of a play-by-play of of a three-week trip to Japan or something like that. Um, but yeah. to be honest, I don't read yeah, that you, many, so. You, def- you definitely see the not-so-great stories, but I also feel like it's um, there is definitely some magazines that really try hard. Like, I, I'm really mm-hmm. proud to work with some of those. Like, in there is a few in Scandinavia that do a really good job, and a few in North America, like a few here and there, like it's, it's, and un, 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 unfortunately, I think we live in this time when our attention span is so small, right? And like the whole freaking social media have destroyed a lot of, of this. Uh, but I think it's coming back. Like people are appreciating uh, a good book and, and, and the time when you get disconnected. And I think that we, we're like, we're getting, to a place where I think that some magazines, especially like the the specialized magazines, I think could still live on because it's um, that type of information um, and inspiration. You can't really just replace that with the, the, the short little posts or like the small pictures. Like I think people really want to read something and look at those shots a little bit yeah yeah bigger for sure absolutely man because uh yeah it's it's tough situation everyone not everyone but we're just so bred in this like quick communication lifestyle and it's uh for people who are into the creative writing photography drawing whatever it is you know they just require so much time and uh yeah i just wish there was more of it yeah, so I guess that will wrap it up now. Um, I just want to thank everyone for watching this episode of Split Screen and Matthias Fredrickson for taking the time to chat with us today. We'll see you all next time. Yeah. Have a good winter. Thanks, bud. You too. <laughs>